Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's great to be back again. It seems like it's been two weeks, right? <laughs> uh, I was also supposed to preach last Sunday and then this Sunday, so you should feel particularly blessed that I no longer feel compared to present all that information. So I'm just going to present uh, last week's. And we're in First Peter and really... Uh, that's one of those books that I keep going back to and keep falling in love with again. It's really true of all of Scripture, but that's one of those, uh, I guess, because we're doing this series uh, that I'm really enjoying reflecting on again. Jordan, of course, last Sunday uh, began this, or two Sundays ago, began the series and uh, focused on the grace of God and the resurrection of Jesus. So that was a great beginning, right? I hope you remember some of that focus that he had and just some great illustrations uh, with that to help us think about it. As we look at this series, preparing ourselves as disciples of Jesus to live in this world. And we need to prepare ourselves, prepare our minds, because it's not always easy uh, to live in this world. There's a story I wanted to begin with this morning because we're going to focus particularly in chapter 2 about names that God calls us, and that's really critically important for preparing our minds to live in this world. Mark Laberton shared this story of the power that names carry. Every day, our naming of the people around us gives life or it takes it away. I can still feel the impact, he writes, of a highly musical friend who one day called me musical. No one had ever called me that. I didn't really play an instrument, and I was no soloist. Yet what made this comment so remarkable was that I instantly felt known and loved. Why? Because I was being named in a way that always matters most from the inside out. My musical ability, fundamental and invisible as it was, had to do with my soul, not with instruments. It was about my way of being in this world, not about the notes being played. This sheer unexpected grace of being named musical stunned me. It was not the most important thing about me, but my friend noticed me. He validated me. He appreciated me. He appreciated something truly deep about me even though it was usually missed by most people, even myself. And so being rightly, rightly named means being truly known. It can change our lives. It's been said that there are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born, and then the moment you realize why you were born. 
It's also been said that the imagination is more powerful than our will. In other words, the way we envision ourselves has more power to change us than even our own willpower. I think that's partly the reason the Bible, all through the Bible and 1 Peter, have such a tremendous emphasis on who we are before we are even told what to do. We'll read the text and then reflect on it. Peter writes to these Christians in Asia Minor that are sort of undergoing some persecution, gossip, misunderstanding from neighbors, not yet a full-blown kind of physical persecution probably yet, but that may be coming. And so he says, I want you to know as you come to Jesus, the living stone, remember He was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to God. You also, like living stones, are being built into this spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, Say, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. They were experiencing shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected He's become the cornerstone, the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So, Peter tells us that in order to stand firm in the grace of God is how he ends this letter. He says, I'm writing encouraging words to you. It's the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. In order to stand firm in this grace of God, whether it's tribulation or a tribulation of religion in our world, whether there's persecution or when we live in a position of privilege, we must know who we are and whose we are. And just kind of a side comment, I think the greater uh, danger in our culture, in our time frame in the West, is more one of trivialization and privilege. But they're both dangerous in terms of tribulation. So, Peter describes who we are with powerful images. We are stones that are built up into the spiritual house together. We're a community We're a group of people. And we're also a priesthood. Every person that's a Christian 
is a priest. <coughs> and then, not just stones, but stones that live and offer sacrifices to God, and not just a God, but the living God. Notice how he keeps using this word living over and again. Whose son is the stone, and not just the stone, but the precious, living cornerstone. So we're living stones to the living God, whose son has built this spiritual house, and he is this living cornerstone. And this son, this stone, crazy as it may sound to us, it's, it's sort of hard to imagine. When I've read through the Gospels and kind of sometimes preparation for before Easter and just reflecting on it, it, it one some years ago it just became, it, I just thought, how odd it is that people were shouting out to, about Jesus, crucify him. I mean, that's, that's just the oddest thing. It's just the weirdest thing to try and take that in. And imagine yourself being in that crowd. What would I have said? Would I have been mute? I, I don't know. I, would I have been taken up? Jesus was rejected by most people, but he is chosen by God, and Jesus is precious to God. Now, why is that important? Well, in part, it's important because we are living stones. In coming to Jesus and following Jesus, there may become a time, or perhaps you've experienced some in which you've undergone some rejection by people. That is a hard truth. Following Jesus does not necessarily mean people will like you. It's a puzzle, really. It's a puzzle. But if we're rejected by people, it does not mean that we are rejected by God. I think that's Peter's point. Rather, we are still precious to God. So we don't focus on what people say, but we focus on what God says. And that identity leads to this tremendous gratitude, which leads us to offer sacrifices to God. And what might those sacrifices be? Well, there are all kinds of things we could say, but in context, a huge one is simply to trust in Jesus' words more than we trust in circumstances. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a choice and chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Finally, Peter seems to come full circle. He has these images, these words, he makes a point, and then he comes back to him and adds some others. We are not only living stones in a priesthood, but we are chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people, we belong to God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we've received the mercy of God. This is important to hear, right? And to keep rehearing, right? And to keep trusting in. Do you know why? Because Christians in the church often do not look very royal or holy, right? We often appear weak and incompetent and even at times double-minded. 
And that is why we must keep standing firm in the grace of God. Otherwise, we'd just give up, right? I mean, who could stand without the grace of God? Without God's grace, would sink into despair. But with God's grace, there's abundant hope for the future. And we look forward to Jesus' return. And so when we trust what God says about who we are and whose we are, we realize that we have a mission. It is to come to Jesus. It is to trust Jesus' words and declare then the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Those are some of the sacrifices. Uh, I preached in York, Nebraska for 15 years. Uh, I was 40 years old when I came there, and uh, the elders interviewed me and so forth and so on. And so I'm, I'm kind of an advocate of this philosophy, uh, achieving success by lowering expectations. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I kind of with the elders and hope that filter out the congregation that I lower expectations of who they might be hiring uh, to minimize the possibility of buyer's remorse when if I did get hired. So uh, I remember in the interview I, I decided uh, at some point I'm going to tell them that uh, that I, I, I'm not, don't, don't expect me every week to get out there and hit a home run, you know, inspiration-wise. I'm kind of a meat and potatoes kind of guy, so, you know, we're going to get to first base, you know, with a, a bunt or something uh, pretty regularly. Once in a while, we'll get a little farther around. And I, I said, once a year, I may hit one out of the park. And they seemed okay with that because they hired me. I don't know. And so I, I, I say that because I've never envisioned myself as, as a great communicator, a speaker. I, I like to teach, uh, but... Uh, it was, it was some 15 years I'd been preaching, in, uh, we were in Philadelphia at the time, and I looked out, and, and there were several people paying attention. <laughs> and I, I just almost, I didn't, know, I didn't know whether to stop or ask them if they were okay or what. So that's, that's sort of to say that I, I've never uh, envisioned myself as a great uh, communicator uh, in preaching. And uh, one Sunday, but I remember this, and this is the powerful effect of names. So uh, one, one Sunday I had preached, uh, I, th I think it was kind of, you know, a regular first base sermon, and uh, no nothing to go outside and throw your hat in the air about, right? And that week, I get this letter from the president of York College, and he said, that was just a great sermon. I thought, well, that's a surprise. And he said, you are, you are such a wordsmith. And I thought, well, I'd never call myself that. I, I know some wordsmiths. Max Licato's a wordsmith. Uh, poets are wordsmiths, but I, I, I'm not a wordsmith. But what it did was uh, it gave me to realize there may be some potential there. That perhaps with time and work and God's mercy and grace and <coughs> the blessing of God's Spirit, that perhaps there could be times when God's Word came forth in a powerful way. 
And I think it made me better. Just made me better. The process of being named has a powerful effect. A little less, a little more lighthearted one. Uh, I watch our three-year-old grandson quite often, and so uh, we 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 are allowed to do things that ordinarily he's not allowed to do because <laughs> I'm grandpa. One of them is to jump up and down on our bed. And that's a great fun. I don't do that. He does that. <laughs> so I, I was kind of portraying the par- carnival barker, and he was a great acrobat on the bed. And I said, the amazing child. Here comes the amazing child. And then he'd flop on a pillow and everything. And we did this several days. And then one, one day he comes in, and he jumps up on the bed. I am the amazing child. Well, I said, that's fine with us, but you may not go, want to go around the neighborhood saying that. <laughs> but is this tremendous power of someone naming us in an unexpected way. And Peter brings this language from the Spirit, from God Himself, to tell these people whatever is going on in your neighborhoods and whatever gossip is going on and however many people misunderstand you and if there's been ostracism from family and friends and you're, you're disrespected in work because now you don't fit in because you're odd and you're like, you feel like you're an exile and an alien in this world and that really is a reality. There is a greater reality and you are chosen by God and you're a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And you have to own that. To stand firm in the grace of God. In the middle of a harsh world. I hope you have someone or many people tell you how important you are. And you're telling other people that, how important they are. Because it can be absolutely life-transforming. And if a person can be changed by another's words, how much more should their word from God affirm and transform us, right? For some of us, it's hard to believe. Maybe I was blessed to have a mother that uh, was always telling me how wonderful I was. There are some disadvantages of that later when you enter the world, but (laughs) I find not everybody thinks you're as wonderful as your mother, but that's been difficult, but... Uh, I also think that I'm an overachiever because of that. I just didn't think there was much I couldn't do. And I hope you have people in that, your world like that. So we must learn to hear and rehear God's words about us and to us above all the other words we hear in our head even and in this world about how much we have failed and how far from measuring up we are. It's not easy. It requires attention, focus, repetition that we are living stones. Do I have it up here? I don't know. I guess I don't. (laughs) I was going to maybe have us repeat it but we don't have it up. I'll just say it to you, okay? Or maybe you could repeat it. How would that would be? that work? We are living stones. Living stones. We are a spiritual house. A spiritual house. 
We are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a holy nation. We are a chosen people, a chosen people. We are a people that belong to God, a people that belong to God, a people who know the mercy of God, a people who know the mercy of God. And that is part of the reason we've gathered here this morning to hear again a word from God, that we are His, and He loves us, and He sends us to speak these affirming words out into a world that is yearning and aching to hear some good news. And so Peter, at the end of this letter, says, I've written briefly to encourage you that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And the church said, Amen.